The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue today in our series called Never Better. We've been working verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. Took a little break for Advent, but we've been doing this since September. We are coming towards the tail end of the book. We've uh, watched this author masterfully argue for the supremacy of Christ and his new covenant by grace um, because this book is primarily written to uh, people of Jewish heritage that had come to know Christ uh, early on and were tempted then to try to go back in and either in part or fully grab back onto the old covenant rituals of sacrifice and put hope and trust in that for salvation instead of the grace that comes through faith alone in Christ. And so the main thrust of this book is to let them and us know Jesus is better than absolutely anything or anyone we could place our hope or trust in. And uh, the covenant that he has made possible is the only hope. It's not just that, well, this one's better than that one. It's that one isn't going to get it done. This is our only shot to trust in Christ. And that, and, and that old covenant, the whole point was that it was leading up to and making possible this new covenant. It was always God's plan for us to be saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so uh, we're going to work through verses 20 through 40 today. We did the first half last week. Let's just remember a couple things that we encountered last week on this idea of faith. We're in Hebrews 11. This is oftentimes referred to as the hall of faith. It's a pretty famous uh, chapter of scripture. A couple key things I want us to just remember as we move into, because I don't do this often, but there's almost no other way to do this. Last week is, is going to be by faith part one, and this is going to be by faith part two. There's really not two separate points to this chapter that you could, you could extrapolate and make two big different things going on. The whole point here is that it always has been and always will be by faith that we stand before God or have any hope in this life or the next. So let's remember that last week we saw in verse 6 of Hebrews 11 that without faith it is impossible to please God. This is, this is a, an incredibly important statement for us to consider and not just consider but to live in light of. Without faith it is impossible to please God. That should lead us then to a question. If, if that's, I want to please God. If it's impossible to do that without faith, I need to know what faith is. And so uh, verse 1 of Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the definition of faith. I would like to submit to you that it, it fits better as a description of faith and that the definition is shaped and formed then by what we see laid out through the rest of the chapter. So uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1 This is a description of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if that's a description of faith, if that tells you something about how faith operates, then what is a definition of faith? Well, the definition we worked off of last week is confident trust in and obedience to God and his word. Confident trust in and obedience to God and his word. So 
That's what we're looking, when this chapter says by faith over and over and over again, that's what we're talking about. Confident trust in and obedience to God and his word. And so much of the rest of this chapter is going to give us examples, okay? So it's told us about faith. It's told us we, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so much of what the author is now doing is he's giving us examples, pictures, if you will, of what faith is. And we all know that in many cases, pictures can be more effective than a thousand words. And that's really the idea of what's happening in Hebrews 11. Big statements about faith. This is, this is what faith is. This is what faith does. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, here's what faith looks like. And, and how, how does the author show us? Takes us through the storyline of Scripture from Genesis all the way up through the prophets, really, is where he ends up, which leads us then to Jesus. So it's, it's the Old Testament. It's the Old Covenant. And, and this is... <clears throat> The argumentation of Hebrews, friends, the argumentation of every author of the New Testament, it, it leads us to this idea. Jesus, Je, when Jesus was asked questions, it should lead us to this idea. We cannot cast, be, just because someone chose to call the Hebrew scriptures the Old Testament at some point, we cannot be duped into this idea that somehow because it says old, it means irrelevant. Because it is not irrelevant. This is the word of God. And without the Old Testament, without the Hebrew scriptures, there is no New Testament. There would be nothing to say. Every time Jesus was asked, how, how do we think about something? He was always referring back to the Old Testament scriptures. That was the word of God as Jesus saw it. When Paul argues, he's arguing from the Hebrew scriptures. When Peter argues, he's arguing from the Hebrew scriptures. And we've been in the book of Hebrews now for several months. Obviously, this author is making the point about that, that it's, it's by faith. He's the, the major point of the new covenant he's making and giving examples of out of these Hebrew scriptures. And so I, I, the first thing I want to say is I, I, I'm pleading with all of you to completely disregard any voice, no matter how prominent, that tries to tell you we as New Testament believers do not need the Old Testament scriptures. That's false, it's wrong, and the New Testament has no context with which to tell us any good news if the Hebrew Scriptures are not God's Word and relevant to us today. Amen. What are you going to do with the book of Hebrews if your attitude is, eh, the Old Testament's not that important? You might as well skip it. You might as well skip 1 Peter as well. You might as well skip a ton of Paul's argumentation in the book of Romans as well. You may have no idea what I'm talking about. You may have no idea that there's a controversy around whether or not the Old Testament is still relevant. I'm just telling you there is, there is a conflict, and you guys know I strive to be balanced and always find a gospel way to talk about everything. There is, there, this is, um, there is no, well, maybe you can see it this way. The Old Testament scriptures are God's word, the same as the New Testament. Flat out, there is no other way to see it that's faithful. And you know, I, I don't go like that very often. So when I do, you should listen to me. Okay. Amen. Now, <clears throat> part of, there's a lot of ways we could go at this. Here's one thing that I realize is true. The earth shattering nature of what this author is writing to the original readers would have been 
that he's saying, by faith, Abel did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. That, for them, that would be the thing that's like, whoa, hold on. They'd have to go back and rethink everything they thought they knew about these stories of God's people throughout history. The issue they would not have had that I think we have probably in, in more, a more prominent way they would have been very familiar with the details of these stories. So for them to hear this, they're, now they're going to have to go back and apply, or, or they're, they're being given the chance to go back and apply this idea that what Abraham did was by faith. What Isaac did was by faith. What Jacob did was by faith. What Joseph did was by faith. What Moses, right? They're going to have to go. So they know the stories, man. They, down to the letter. They know the stories. And so it would, have been, it would have been an earth-shattering thing. It would have taken them a long time to think their way through chapter 11 of Hebrews. What I want to make sure we do as people who, for the most part, do not know these stories to the letter, is make sure we don't miss, because for us, we heard the by faith thing. We're standing in a different place than they are. We've got a couple thousand years of Bible teaching and, and the framing of these things with a gospel lens to the glory of God, and, and I am very grateful to stand where I stand upon the shoulders of many who have fought ahead of us and have been led by the Holy Spirit ahead of us, that we can, that we can for us to hear by faith is not the shocking part of this. The hardest part for us is probably to be able to understand in some of the details how that's true. And so we need to make sure we understand some of the details so that these pictures, these examples, the point of which is to help us understand what it means to live before God by faith, by these Old Testament examples. Uh, that's, so, that's what it's, so it may seem today a little bit more classroom-like, but I, we can't come out of this chapter without doing justice to the details of these stories. Because it would be a tragedy for us to go, okay, by faith, I get it, and not really understand some of the depth of what that means, or ask even some of the hard questions that come up. I, and, and verse 20 is a great example of that. So let's, let's read the verses together, and then we will unpack this. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Now, for some of you, you read that you, no bells go off. For some of you, you're like, hold on, I know that story. That doesn't sound right. We got to talk about it. That's what I'm talking about. The details, okay? By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down 
after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Praise God for his word. Amen. Amen, amen. Verse 20, why, why would those who know the story of Isaac blessing his sons, and most people will probably go, hold on, both of them? If you... Right, because sometimes we know we know vaguely the idea, but sometimes the details escape us, and that, this is important. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. Okay, you might say, "Hold on, did he bless Jacob by faith? I thought he got tricked into blessing Jacob." So how how did he bless him by faith? And you might say, depending on where you're at in terms of knowledge of the Old Testament storyline, here's here's the thing. Isaac favored, he had two sons, twin sons, by his wife Rebecca, Jacob and Esau. Esau was a macho guy, he liked to hunt, kind of a man's man. Jacob liked to hang out in the tents, was kind of a mama's boy, all right? So Isaac had a favorite son, it was Esau. But God had told Rebecca beforehand that Jacob was, was going to be the one that God was going to bless to continue the covenantal blessing that started with Abraham. The covenantal promise that there was going to be from this little nomadic tribe that God said, I'm going to do something with you, as many descendants as the sand on the seashore. And that ultimately, out of a descendant of that clan, all of the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. Big promise. The fate of the whole world hangs on it. Rebecca was told, Jacob's going Jacob's to get that blessing. Isaac knew that, and what's interesting is Isaac tried to still give the blessing to his son Esau. It's also interesting to me, the next generation, Jacob has a bunch of sons, and favoritism creates issues in the next generation as well. It's probably something to learn from that, but I got a lot to cover today, so I'll just let you jot a note about that. You can think about it later. So Isaac was tricked. Right? So how do we say, by faith, he blessed Jacob? I want to read you the blessing. Because even though Isaac, who, who at the, how do he get tricked? Okay? So he's, he's basically blind at this point. He knows he's coming to the end of his life. It's time to bless one of his sons, to pass on this covenantal blessing. And so he says to his son Esau, go out, hunt me, hunt me some of that game that I know, you know you're so good at, and make me some of that food from that... That, that hunt that you, whatever animal you bring down, make me some of that food that I like. Come and bring it to me and I'll bless you. Out goes Esau. Rebecca hears. And she says, Jacob, 
She goes and gets some goats. They prepare it. They, you know, they, they throw enough uh, wild onions and stuff in there to make it taste gamey, right? He goes and takes it to his father. She even, Esau was real hairy. We get the idea that maybe Jacob was more of a smooth brother. So, so she even gets some young goat hair and puts it on his arm so that when Isaac reaches to touch his, his son's arm, he's, he's comforted, puts Esau's clothes on him. So he smells like the field. He goes in. The ruse works. But the faith, so it wasn't, it wasn't that in faith which son he blessed, but listen to the blessing. The content of the blessing is where we can see faith in the, in the fact that Isaac blessed Jacob. Here's the blessing. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you. We're a little nomadic tribe in the middle of nowhere. And nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. People serving you and nations bow down to you, that's big talk for somebody that's got a little herd out in, in the middle of nowhere in some tents, a little family. Why would he talk like that? Because he had faith in what God had promised. In the content of the blessing, the content of the blessing that he puts, that he didn't know he was given to Jacob, he thought he was given to Esau, we see faith. But we also see, here's, here's the hardest part about this understand. By faith... Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. If, if it would have just said, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob, this wouldn't be that hard to understand. You could just look at the content of the blessing and say, okay, okay yeah, I get it. But it says, by faith, he also blessed Esau. Hold on. So, so what happens? He, he, blesses, he blesses Jacob and the Bible and, and dripping with all the irony that it often is. Jacob goes out, not a few minutes later, here comes Esau with the food he made from, from the hunt. And here's what the Bible says. He comes in and says, Father, I'm here. And, it's, and it says that Isaac shook, he trembled violently. Okay? If, if you want an urban dictionary transliteration of the Hebrew, Isaac was shook all the way to the core. That, all the way to the core of who he was. Why? Because, friends, Isaac knew what he was doing. Isaac knew that he was trying to undo what God had told his wife, that Jacob was going to, because he, and we'll talk about maybe some of the reasons why, he thought Esau should get the blessing, but he knew what God said. And as soon as his son walked in and he realized, oh, snap, I just blessed somebody else, he knew God and his sovereignty was not to be trifled with. There's also something to be seen for the fact that it was, it was by trickery that Rebecca and Jacob pulled it off, right? What does that tell us? It tells us that, here's the, here's the help for you in that. Um, even when you screw up and make dumb choices, God will get his will done in spite of you. Yeah, ain't that good news? Man, that's good news for me. If you ain't clapping about that, you probably need to get humble. Because maybe you think you're not capable of doing dumb stuff. <laughs> well, Isaac trembled violently when his son came in and said, I'm here for my blessing. 
And then Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me as well, my father. So Esau raised his voice and wept. How do we, and so how do we see faith in, in the blessing of Esau? Let's read it. Then his father Isaac answered, so this is Isaac to Esau, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above, and by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. What we see in the blessing of Esau is repentance from Isaac. Isaac shook because he knew he was in violation of what God had clearly said was to happen. And we see a recognition of his submission to God's will and repentance in the fact that he says, you shall serve your brother. Right before he says this blessing, he tells Esau, oh, he is going to be blessed. Recognition that God's will is going to be done. I tried to, get, I tried to do my th- own thing, and it didn't happen. It takes faith to repent. It takes faith to bend your will to know when you're wrong. Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. And the fact that Isaac, just that quick, he just thought he got away with it. He just thought he blessed his hairy hunting son. Not a few minutes later, he's faced with the reality. And he shook, trembled violently. And just that quick, he said, you shall serve your brother. I was wrong. It's basically what you see communicated in that blessing to Esau. Now, this is a little bit out of the pocket for the, the main thrust of these verses, but it's staring us in the face. So let's take a, a short adjacent detour. Why was he trying to disobey God? Why was Esau his favorite? I think perhaps... It has something to do with a misguided definition of masculinity and leadership. Why did Papa Isaac like Esau better? He was a man's man. He was the hairy one, the hunting one, the big one, the tough one, the macho one. Jacob liked to hang out with mom in the tent. You know, kneading bread and whatever else was going on in there. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't the idea of masculinity then, but the definition was too narrow then as well. We see that clearly in the way this plays out. Because who did God choose for the covenantal blessing to sit upon? The one that everyone would have called a mama's boy that was in the tent. Not doing any of the traditionally masculine stuff. Pretty interesting. What does that tell us? I think part of what we should see from it is that a lot of problems that we are having with gender confusion today are at least partially due to unnecessarily narrow definitions of masculinity and femininity. And you may be surprised, if you know me, if you've known me for more than five minutes, you might be surprised that I can see this. Because I'm the most classically meat-headed macho guy. I like outdoor stuff. I like guns, right? If there was a, if there was a beautiful sunset on the most beautiful coast in the whole world, and we're, we're standing there looking at it, 
And down below on the highway, a 69 Camaro drives by. All of you are still, oh my goodness. I'm going to be like, ooh, do you, do you guys see that? I like cars. All the classic meathead stuff. I like meat a lot. I want, you know, I want to taste Esau's stew, man. I'm sure it's awesome. Venison, whatever, man. Hit me. However, what we need to see from this whole deal is that Jacob at least valued the birthright. You remember what happened before this whole blessing thing? Esau comes in from the field. Jacob made some stew. Esau is hungry. And Jacob says, I'll sell me your birthright. I'll give you some of this stew. He's like, oh, well, if I die of hunger. Esau is a man child. He doesn't care about the responsibility of the birthright or that covenantal blessing. He just, he just wants the blessing part, not the responsibility part. Biblical manhood is not about being rough and tough. It's about taking responsibility for ourselves and for the people around us. And you can do that and like to shoot guns and throw hatchets and wrestle. And you can do that and like art and I don't know. I don't have a lot of examples of what the other stuff could be. But I'm, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Our class. So yeah, art, you know, art's a broad subject, Pastor Andrew. There's a lot of things that could mean. I don't get any of it almost, you know. Most stuff, somebody says, oh, that's art. I'm like, okay, well, hallelujah. <clears throat> Let's go. You guys want to go hiking or something? You guys, uh, <clears throat> we can really learn something about how God sees the role of manhood and womanhood from this story. It'll help us. If we would broaden our understanding of what masculinity and femininity is, there would be a lot of people that don't feel like they don't fit the stereotype and, and thus now they're confused. Some of it is our fault. And the church is sometimes the worst at it. We have bought into stereotypes as much as anybody else, many times. And I don't, I don't know how we've missed this kind of central part of the whole patriarch drama and not understood this to be the case. Because a whole bunch of guys that like to stand in pulpits or stand around men's groups and, and talk about sissy boys or whatever, they would, have, they would have been the ones heckling Jacob. Look at that sissy over there in the tents. Right? Dead wrong. Dead wrong. May God help us understand what he means by manhood and womanhood from a biblical perspective. Men take responsibility for themselves and for the people around them. And a whole bunch of other stuff that, that we decide defines manhood has zero to do with that. Let's look at verse 21. I'll let, you just, I'll let you just think about that this week. There's more we could say, but I got a lot of stuff we got to look at. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. You know, there's a reason why the little details that are included in this are there. If you don't understand the, the storyline, you may miss it. But why is it by faith he blessed the sons of Joseph? And why does he say while leaning on his staff? Why? 
What? Why is that the detail? Well, there's a reason for that. You know why Jacob needed a staff? Because he learned about the sovereignty and the grace of God through a wrestling match on the banks of the river Jabbok. And, and if you don't know the story, Jacob wrestles with God. God ends up touching his hip socket. They wrestle all night. God touches his hip socket, throws it out of joint. And, and, then, and then Jacob kind of realizes what's going on. And some people might feel like God cheated. Some people might read that story not understanding and think, oh man, did, like did Jacob know jujitsu? Did he actually get God? And so, so God had to cheat? To, that's not what it is. I mean, maybe Jacob knew jujitsu. I don't know. But... <clears throat> But the point is, he wasn't winning against God. That wasn't the problem. Because how do we know? You might feel like, oh, man, God kind of cheated. J- Jacob knew what was up. Here's how we know. Jacob knew what just went down. Because he renamed the place where it happened. And this was his summary statement once it's all said and done. I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Jacob left that exchange understanding once he was humbled I have just experienced the grace of God. Because what I should have been was dead. And yet he has poured out grace upon me. But to help Jacob remember, that hip socket was jacked all the way to the end of his life. And that's why he's leaning on a staff when he's saying a blessing over Joseph's sons. That's a reminder of God's sovereignty, power, and grace for the rest of Jacob's life. That's why he blessed the sons of Joseph by faith, leaning on his staff. That's why that's included. You understand what I'm talking about? Why, why the people that were first encountering this argumentation, them knowing the stories to the letter was important? Because you could miss that, couldn't you? Easily. Verse 22. <clears throat> By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Here's what we know about Joseph. Joseph got a raw deal on more than one occasion. Joseph was betrayed by his very own brothers, sold into slavery, then begins to rise up the ranks as a slave, gain respect and have a a somewhat halfway decent station in life as a slave, and then gets lied on by a hussy. And that ends him up falsely accused and in jail. Several times Joseph got a real unfair shake. But he never let that force him into a victim mentality. Or a lack of faith in God's power and goodness. Never one time. Can you try to put yourself there? Sitting in a pit that you've just been thrown in by your brothers, and then them dragging you up out of it and selling you off to some slave traders for some silver. Are you going to have questions for God in that situation? And then, and then you keep your integrity. You, okay, God, I trust you. This is really hard, but I trust you. And then you get sold off at the slave block in Egypt. Potiphar takes you into his house. You operate with such integrity that it's noticed and you begin to, to rise up and then, and then end up falsely accused by his wife. And then in jail in Egypt. You got, you got questions for God? Why me? This isn't, how is this fair? We can learn a lot about what faith looks like from Joseph's life. 
can learn a lot about not falling into that victim mentality. How do we know that Joseph never slipped into that or or that he never had a lack of faith in God's power and goodness? I'm not saying he never had a hard thought, but I'm saying the hard thoughts didn't win. Joseph maintained a confidence, a trust in God's goodness and power. How do we know that? Because after many years of all of these events, he says this to his brothers, who he ends up reunited with during a famine, where he's now in a position to be able to save them from starving to death. Because yes, he goes to jail, falsely accused, but then the gift God gave him to interpret dreams puts him in front of Pharaoh, who then puts him not as the lead guy in Potiphar's house, Potiphar is a peon now compared to who Joseph is. Joseph gets to wear the signet ring that says, when I talk, Pharaoh talks. I say jump, you say how high. Okay? That's the position he's in when he says this. When his brothers are now before him terrified that he's going to do exactly what most of us would be really tempted to do, which is now use that power for retribution. They're they're shaking in their boots. They're shook too. Here's what Joseph says to him. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You can learn something about what it means to walk by faith by looking at the arc of Joseph's story. That you, you can't get a rawer deal than he got. Twice! But able to say that with conviction. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. <clears throat> Moses' parents, that, and, and that's, it says by faith Moses, that can be confusing. This verse 23 is about the faith of Moses' parents. By faith Moses, when he, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden by three months by his parents. The faith here is by his parents. We're going to talk about Moses' faith in the next verse, but this is talking about the faith of his parents. You, you remember when I kind of tiptoed into the edge of talking about legacy and how it's woven throughout these verses and this chapter, the idea of legacy, the idea of thinking about beyond just how I feel today and what, I, what benefit I can see today about whether or not I walk in trust and confidence in God and obey him, but, but to think generationally, now it's smacking us in the face because now we're not just talking about the faith of Moses, we're talking about the faith of Moses' parents. Here's what they knew. They knew that confident obedience to God and his word meant they could not obey the evil command of the Pharaoh. Here's the backstory if you're not familiar. The people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. They've begun to rise up under the blessing of God and have more and more numbers, and they're getting stronger. This makes Pharaoh nervous. So Pharaoh, as many who have been demonically influenced throughout history, wanted to get rid of all the boys, wanted to do something to all the boys to get them out of the way. All the ones that might grow up and be men of God, Satan wanted them done. So the edict goes out, kill them all when they're born. Moses' parents, by faith, realized, I can't, Here, and this, this, this is helpful to help us understand how we navigate scriptures in Romans and elsewhere to talk about us obeying civil authorities. 
We abs- God does establish civil authorities and uses them as a part of common grace to restrain the evil of men. Okay? That God has a purpose for governments. Some of you don't like those verses at all. And, and you need to humble yourself and think more about it. Because if God, didn't, if God wanted to sovereignly restrain the evil of men other ways, he could do it. But God has used kings and kingdoms and governments throughout history to accomplish his will. Okay? And I don't don't have time to get into all that. So here's, that's true, but there are also times throughout the scripture where those governments clearly overstep the purpose that God has for them. And when they try to command somebody to do the exact opposite of what God has said to do, every single time that happens in the scriptures, the people of God say, no. Now, some of you are too quick to think things that government says is exactly opposite of what scripture says. You'll stretch for that. And trust me, when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me. Okay? If, if I, I, I try to stay very apolitical from the pulpit because I think that's right. But I'm not a giant fan of intrusiveness by anybody, really. So there's that. So when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me, okay? Up and into the point, government genuinely... Power structures genuinely, and, and this, this would be true even in the context of the church. You get somebody that's supposedly an authority in the body of Christ, pastor, leader, and you know what they're saying is dead opposite of what the Bible says? No is the answer. Come on. We don't do the opposite of what God says. It doesn't matter who's saying it. Exactly right. So killing all these children, nope, not doing that. Daniel, you can't, you, you can't pray to God anymore. Nope. Sorry, we're doing that. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you, you need to bow down and worship this thing right here. Nope. Won't be doing that. Exact opposite of what God had said. Anytime you're in that position, the choice should be easy. Amen. But some of us need to make sure we're not pretending we're in that position. When we're not on certain things, right? (laughs) But Moses' parents knew that confident obedience to God and his word meant they could not obey the evil command of Pharaoh. Moses' parents also learned the lesson that we all have to learn about trusting God when it comes to our kids. This is incredibly difficult, and this is maybe the most vibrant picture you can think of to drive home the principle. Because it is hard for us. It is hard for me. Okay, I won't put this on you, Ricky Bobby. I'll just talk about myself. It is hard for me to remember that those children that have been entrusted to me are, are his first and then mine. That my job is to lead them to know and love Jesus first and foremost. And that I am not God. I am their earthly daddy. But I cannot do in their heart what needs to be done. I can be used as a tool in their life, but they have a father above me. That can be hard to remember. 
and you want to talk about a, less, a, a crash course in that? Talk about weaving a basket, sitting your baby in it, and floating it down the river and saying, God, we got to trust you with. You want to talk about trusting your kids with to the Lord? But when we do, he is faithful. That's what the stuff about Pharaoh's daughter is in the next verse. The basket don't float too far. Pharaoh's daughter is bathing just down the river. God moves her heart with compassion for the child. And in another scene dripping with irony, she calls for a nurse. And, you know, it's like Moses' mom pops up out of the bulrush. She's like, whoa, what did you say you need? (laughs) And gets to raise the boy, but now under the protection of Pharaoh's daughter. But now that brings its own complications. Let me say this. It's the last thing on what we can learn from Moses' parents about faith in the realm of parenting. Fear, if we, if we <clears throat> one of the most surefire ways to mess up our kids is parenting them out of fear instead of faith. Fear will make us clamp down and focus only on their behavior, forgetting the gospel truth that our, our hearts and their hearts must be changed by the love of God so that we can obey for the right reasons. There's a lot of reasons we could get in fear over our kids. But God's called us to raise them by faith. We're going to need his help to do it, no doubt. Now, by faith, Moses, verse 24, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that's the first part. The first issue that would create is now you have a Hebrew boy raised in the house of Pharaoh, arguably the most powerful leader of the day and all the lavishness uh, of that setting and also with the, the potential for the teaching that would come from that, the way to see the world, the way to see his fellow Hebrews. The Bible doesn't get into specifics, but I think it's no mistake that his own mother is able to be there as a part of raising him, sharing her faith with him. It leads to this point where It was by faith that when he was grown, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was by faith he chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, and he was looking to the reward. What do we see in that? Broadly, we see that living by faith is going to mean sacrifice in a world that operates by false principles. If you're going to live by faith in this world, it's going to cost you something. And part of why I'm saying that is there, there is, there is a, a strong element of metaphor, the, the kind of microcosm of what's going on in the world, in the time of, of this part of the scriptures and Egypt and all of that. Pharaoh and Egypt and their way of thinking very much represents worldly uh, ideas, worldly philosophies. And <clears throat> if, we're going to, if we're going to live in a world that is not on board with the supremacy of God, his worthiness to be worshipped, the truthfulness of his scriptures, the supremacy of his gospel, if we're going to live and operate in this world, which we are, we're in this world but not of this world, 
it, it is going to mean sacrifice. We are, there are things we are going to have to give up, even and first at the level of idea. We are going to have to define success differently than the world does. You understand? We have to define what life's meaning is about differently than the world around us, and that will cost you. Now, you can avoid it by staying quiet. You can blend in. You can chameleon your way through this thing and, and try to avoid some of the blunt impact of the, 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 the diametrically opposed difference there is living by faith as opposed to the way the world lives. You, you can blunt some of the impact, but... Even in doing that, you're not going to remove all of it because you are not going to be able to jump in and participate and live by the principles that the vast majority of the people around you are living by. And so it will cost. Either that or you're going to have to compromise. There's really only two options. It's by faith that Moses, even in these conditions, thought it better to sacrifice and, and we see this, this, not, this is not saying that Moses knew he was sacrificing exactly as Jesus would. He didn't know the name of Jesus, but it, it's just making the connection for us. That that idea, part of what Moses is doing there is, is foreshadowing the same kind of reproach, the same kind of sacrifice Jesus was going to have to endure in order to accomplish the mission God had for him. God had a mission for Moses. And it cost him. God has a mission. God had a mission for Jesus, and it cost him. God has a mission for each of us, and it will cost us. Amen. Why are you telling us that? Are you trying to bum us out? No, I'm trying to get you to buckle up. Because if you could just buckle up for that reality and stop being so surprised when you feel headwind in a world that is not, is oftentimes diametrically opposed to. What it is we say is important, what God's word says is important, well, what are we so surprised about? And it's not like you even needed me to stand up here and say that. How many times throughout the New Testament is it, don't be surprised when the fiery trial. How many times did Jesus say, it's going to get wild. Buckle up. We, if we could just skip that whole, man, I'm surprised, and now, now I'm thrown for a loop in my faith because is God failing as a result? If we could just skip that whole part and, and realize, yeah, this is exactly what it looks like to be swimming against the current. It would help. <laughs> Verses 28 through 30. By faith... Still talking about Moses. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. Again, you, you, if, if you're not familiar, then you, you might miss the power of that. And let me, and let me read I'm going to take it through 30 together. So by faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. Now, these things happen in chronological order, so I think maybe that's what's in the mind of the author. But it's interesting also how, though they are chronologically in line, they also share this very prominent principle with one another. Living by faith is going to mean doing things that don't seem to make a lick of sense sometimes. And you see that principle true in all of these, okay? 
What's the first one? The sprinkling of the blood. And, and the, the one who came and killed all the firstborn. If you don't know the story, you're like, whoa, this got weird. It is weird. But God sends Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's heart is hard. Pharaoh thinks he's God. So then comes a series of plagues to try to wake him up. Like, hey, you, you, you ain't dealing with one of these little local fake deities. This is a God that will turn your river into blood. This is a God that, that can do some stuff. The final plague, when none of those have the, the effect of softening Pharaoh's heart, is that the firstborn, of ev- the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt, including the animals, is going to die. God's going to send a death angel through to make the point. I've tried everything I can to let you know this is serious, but we're going to get your attention because these people are going to leave. These people are coming out to worship me. That's happening, whether you like it or not. So how does that death angel not kill the firstborn of all God's people as he's coming through doing his work? They're supposed to kill a lamb, take the blood of that lamb, and wipe it over the doorpost. That's a signal to that death angel. This home is covered by the blood of this lamb. But we hear that. Some of you are hearing that for the first time, and it's as weird to you as it was to them. So, so you get what I'm saying. Those of us that are crusty Christians, we've been around a long time, and we've heard this stuff a bunch. It, it, loses, it loses its weirdness. But can you understand being Moses saying, Okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Everyone, get a lamb, kill it, eat it, take some of the blood, and wipe it on the door outside. For what now? See, for us, as Christians, we know about blood. We've heard about atonement. We know about the cross. So it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I I, I understand all that. Understand, in Egypt, this is before the tabernacle. This is before all of the Levitical law. This is the first time people are hearing... Yeah, um, death is coming, and blood's going to be the way that, that we're not going to... Uh, blood for atonement's going to be the way it's not going to hit us. What? It wouldn't have made a lick of sense, is my point. And a lot of times, what it's going to mean to walk by faith is doing things that may not make a lick of sense to you. Let's keep going. We end up at the edges of the Red Sea. And often miss detail about that is that God told Moses, tell the people to start moving and I will split the sea. I would prefer, God, actually, if, if you could actually split the sea first so that I know I'm not a nut job, that would be great. Nope, we're, we're doing this thing by faith. This giant group of people, you start moving towards that water and I'll split it. Also doesn't make a lot of sense. Some of you are nodding your heads because you've been walking with Jesus long enough and he's, he has asked you to do some things that didn't make any sense. All the data that you had, all of the formidable pieces of your intellect looking at the situation is like, this is nuts. This doesn't make any sense. That's happened to me lots of times. And he's not done. They cross the Red Sea, do 40-year uh, camping trip, learn, learn a few things, and then we end up crossing the River Jordan. That's, that's commitment too. You might miss that. They cross the Jordan much like they cross the Red Sea, but once they get across it, we're committed. We here now. 
And the first thing they come up to is this, a walled city that, that would have been, that would have been the, the pride of any warlord of the day. A formidable fortress they walk up to, and it's the first thing in the way for them to do what God said and to take and possess this land. Okay, God, we're here. We obeyed this far. Now what? The giant walled fortress and city, here's what I want you to do. You're going to march around it for seven days, you know, and then we're going to make a bunch of noise. Come again? What? That wouldn't have made sense to me. No, man. I'd have been in my tent looking at, at tunnel schematics. Well, how do we dig our way up underneath here? Let's build some ladders. I'd have had plans. And, and, and probably if I was in charge, everyone would end up dead. God said, no, we're going to do it my way. We're going to do it by faith. I'm going to show you it's always been my, by, by my power. If you haven't caught it yet, if the Red Sea didn't do it, if the Passover didn't do it, if the water out of the rock didn't do it, and the man in the wilderness didn't do it, I guess we haven't done it. Let me show you again what this whole thing is about. It's by faith. And it's not about faith in you. It's about faith in me. If you guys are going to make it, it's going to be because you trust me. That's the message over and over and over and over and over again. And that's the point of Hebrews 11. That's always been the case. It always has. It's always been about faith. Which shouldn't be that surprising now that you think back through the chapter and it says, by faith a hundred times. Here's your sign. I'm so glad. If you... If you're maybe new in your faith and you haven't had one of these moments yet where what God is asking you to do makes absolutely no sense from, from every other angle you can possibly see it, uh, God bless you. <laughs> Come share with me when it happens because that's always fun. And part of why it's fun is because it's, it's really helpful in, in that process of, of it becoming less of me and more of him. Because even though we read about the Exodus and the Red Sea and the manna and the rock and, and, the, and, and Jericho falling down, even though we read about that, we, we, we still need help with this idea day by day of realizing that it's by faith. It's by faith that we walk with God. I'm really, I'm really so thankful to the Holy Spirit that verse 31 is in this chapter. By faith, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab shows us that walking by faith means we need to be willing to risk it all, not hedging our bets just in case God doesn't come through. Spies come in. Rahab is a Gentile harlot. Rahab is a part of the enemy. She hides spies that God had said to go in and spy out the land. And, and, and as a result, and, here, and here's what she says. You might think it's like a quid pro quo. God's like, okay, we'll do a deal with her. If she protects you, I'll protect her. No, no, no. That's not the point. There's this statement Rahab makes in the thing. Somehow it had reached her ears that 40 years previously, God had brought his people out of Egypt and had split the Red Sea. And so she starts talking about it. And she says, clearly, here's what I know to be true. Your God is God above and here. He's God in heaven and God on earth. All these things that we're sacrificing to, I don't know. I, 
that I've never seen anything that, that makes me think they're like him. Her faith was in the God of Israel. And, and here's, what, here's what I'm saying. Part of what we're learning, the picture she's showing us, of, and what did I tell you we're doing? We're going bit by bit, and we're, looking, we're going to stop and think about the details so that we can understand what these pictures are showing us, grounding out, giving us the circumspect view of what it means to live by faith. Part of what it means by, to live by faith is not hedging your bet. Rahab, when she made the decision... Okay, you're God's God. I'm going to betray my people. I'm going to help your people. And then I'm going to count on God being faithful. I'm going to put this scarlet-colored rope out the window and trust that that's going to mean me and my family are going to be protected and make it. There was no plan B. There was no hedge in the bet. She went full in. If this doesn't work out, we're done. That's part of what it looks like to have confident trust in God. Particularly, that that comes back to the whole reason for the writing of this book. That's part of what the issue was. There were were people descended of Israel that that were thinking, man, I like Jesus, and I sure like that gospel stuff, but what if we also do need the Old Testament sacrifices? Let me, I'll tell you, we'll just do both. I'll kind of cover, I'll cover myself both ways. Jesus says no. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one's coming to the Father except through me. That's it. You can't hedge your bet. You can't say, okay, yeah, I'm going to pray a prayer, and and yeah, I like Jesus, but I'm also going to, in my heart, I know, I'm going to try really hard to be a good person just in case. The grace that comes by faith isn't actually enough. No. No. Faith, part of what it means, by faith means by faith, period. And Rahab, buddy, I'm telling you. It, and is it, do you, do, you see the, do you see the tipping of God's hand in this? Do you, see, do you see why the Holy Spirit, isn't it, have you been reading this with me? There, there's one other woman mentioned in this whole list. Sarah, the mother of Isaac, wife of Abraham, that's like original pedigree, man. God came to this couple and gave a promise. She's like, okay, yeah, it makes sense Sarah's in there. What is Rahab doing in the hall of faith, a Gentile prostitute? This would have been offensive to the senses of many. Part of what it showed us? is that God's plan was always to bring the Gentiles in because you understand what happens? Rahab and her family are saved. And then she marries a homeboy named Salmon. And they have a little boy, and his name is Boaz. And it just so happens, because Boaz's mommy is a Gentile harlot, he's able to see this other Gentile woman named Ruth later on as something other than a dog that should be kicked. And so he cares for her, and this matters a whole lot because Ruth and Boaz get together. They have a little boy named Obed, and then he gets with someone, and they have a little boy named Jesse. And Jesse's daddy to someone that's pretty important in the whole line of this thing. His name's David. And then if we go on down the genealogy, we have Jesus. So in case you... you in case you were uh, unimpressed thus far, as it pertains to the sovereignty of God and the ability of him to weave 
intimate little details into the grand scope of history to make sure his will is accomplished? Think about how important that scarlet piece of thread out the window was in the grand scheme of things. The spies so happened to end up in Rahab the Gentile harlot's house. And all that that meant from there. My God, I'm so glad that's in here. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Gideon, Barak, Samson, they all show us in different ways that walking by faith means trusting in God's power and not our own, especially when the odds are stacked against us. I'm going to follow the author's lead. If, if, I, if I try to go in and tell you all the cool details about Gideon and Barak and Samson, there'll be a mutiny at some point because of hunger. But the, 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 the summer, it's, it's so interesting to me how things work out chronologically as, as this author is working through the narrative of Scripture, but also how these groupings, there, there's a common theme. If you look at the story of Gideon, you look at the story of Barak, you look at the story of Samson, you'll see the part of what it looks like to walk by faith. Another facet of walking by faith is that we can trust in God's power and not our own, especially when the odds are stacked against us. Especially when you look at the situation and you're like, this, this does not look good. That was true with Gideon. That was true with Barak. That was true with Samson. And Gideon, God's, God's so funny, he made sure, it was already bad when Gideon was doing the thing, and God made sure we understood by whittling his forces down to 300. When Barak went up against a guy, he went up against Sisera, I think his name was, he, this guy had all the iron chariots. It looked bad, it did not look good. Samson was by himself most of the time. If, if God hadn't given him supernatural power, it'd have been a wrap. But because of God gave him supernatural power, he can pick up a jawbone and just start wrecking stuff. We see in Jephthah's story that walking by faith is going to mean sacrificing for those who may never appreciate it. I'm going to take a second on this because I think most of you, now that's probably not fair, many of you may not even know who Jephthah is because he doesn't get a lot of playtime because he ended up making a really stupid oath about, his, about when he got back from battle, the first thing that walked out of his house, he was sacrificed to God. Clearly, he thought that would be an animal, and his daughter walks out. And so that's really hard to deal with, and I don't have time to unpack it all, but a lot of times that gets skipped. It can be dealt with, and here, here's the thing. Now that many of you, I brought him up, and, and you're like, oh yeah, I don't know what that name is. Now you're going to go look in Judges. Just remember, pay attention when you go read it to his daughter's response. Because his daughter's willingness in the thing, is another pointing forward to the willingness of Jesus to die for the sake of his people. So just keep that in your pocket. But in Jephthah's story, we see that walking by faith is going to mean sacrificing for those who may never appreciate it. Here's Jephthah's story. He was uh, a a son of a powerful man, but a, a different mama than the rest. A strange woman, the Bible says. So he was ridiculed, kicked out. He basically... He basically became a leader of a, a, a band of misfits, but then, but then Israel ends up in trouble. They got, a, uh, they got a, an enemy coming against them they don't know what to do about. And so, the, so then they're, they're over there knocking on 
Jephthah's door, like, hey, man, can you come help? It's very interesting. That though he even, he makes sure, like, he says something about it. He's not, <laughs> he's not totally gracious and just doesn't mention it. He's like, oh, oh, you guys need me now, basically. Interesting. But God uses him. And then it's real interesting as well. What's the point I'm making? That walking by faith is going to mean sacrificing for those who may never appreciate it. That's part of what it's going to look like. Here's the big point I'm making. Because not only does he, for the people that ridiculed him and kicked him out, does he go to war and defend them. Then another tribe, the tribe of Ephraim, is upset that he did it without them and now they're not going to get any credit. So then they want to come and fight him about that. If you're going to walk by faith, sometimes you're going to end up loving hard people that won't appreciate that you love them or it doesn't seem like they appreciate it. I don't know, Pastor Vince, are you sure that that's true? Give me a call this week. I got stories. I'm sure most of you have your own. I'm sure most of you, if you are operating in the love of God, have encountered a situation where you've been over backwards, you've done everything you could to try to serve and love somebody, and it seemed like they just did not care. So what do we do? Do we clam up? Do we harden our hearts? Do we stop loving people because they may not be thankful? No. God went first. We love because he loved us. And so we follow his example. And sometimes that means we got to love unlovely people. How? How do you do that? Oh, you just have to remember back how unlovely you were. Oh, now notice I said were, I was just going to leave alone the parts about how you still are sometimes, but oh no, that slipped out too, didn't it? Mm. Praise the Lord. Jephthah helps us to see that walking by faith is going to mean sacrificing for those who may never appreciate it. That's hard. That's real hard, man. That's part of what it means. Because walking by faith in one, in one way means walking in the way of God. Yes. It's submitting ourselves to that process of being conformed into his image. And I know most of you guys got to get this. You know God sacrificed a lot for people that a lot of times act like they don't appreciate it. If you're thinking about someone else you know, you, you didn't catch the, the point of that right there. He continues... Verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, mountains, and caves, and holes in the ground. I want to just, to keep doing what we're doing, which I think is the right thing to do, letting these pictures and examples instruct us about what it looks like to walk by faith, about what it means to live by faith. Again, to this to the audience that received this book, all of these maybe seemingly vague references, for them it would be, I know what he's talking about. Okay? All the details that, some of the details that I got into today that maybe you 
knew one time and forgot or have never heard before, for these folks, that, that was not the case. They knew, they knew intimately every little bit of all of these things, probably memorized the very words is what I'm saying to you, okay? But for our sake, let's, who is he talking about? When he talks about subdued kingdoms, that was David, Joshua, King Asa, Jehoshaphat, King Hezekiah, King Josiah, if you're not familiar with these stories, again, part of what should happen as we come out of this, this chapter, uh, this hall of faith that, that is teaching us what it looks like to live by faith, and we see that the source material for this New Testament writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was to go back into the Hebrew Scriptures to help us understand what it means to live by faith. I'm hoping part of what you leave here with today is a greater appreciation for the Old Testament Scriptures Amen. and a desire and a hunger to know them better. Worked righteousness, these were men like Elijah and Elisha, other prophets in general, King Josiah as well. When it talks about obtaining promises, this could include Caleb, Gideon, and Barak. When it talks about stopping the mouth of lions, Daniel, David also stopped the mouth of lions. How? By faith. Quenched the violence of fire. This is almost surely a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Good call on the song choice this morning. <laughs> you know, I know where we're heading in the scriptures, and then they do stuff like that, and I got to try to be over here not all weepy. You know what I mean? I got to come up here and preach. Because, <sighs> friends, oh my gosh. What we sang, man. I'm not, I'm not alone. There's someone standing with me in the fire. God, that means so much. That means so much when you're really trying to walk through this world by faith. When you're feeling often the loneliness and the opposition to know he is with me. It feels like fire sometimes. And, and the specific example of, of these three boys. It, to me, this, it, was, it was this picture of what it means to walk by faith that was the most formative for me in, in, in understanding largely what it means to live by faith. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because I was taught for many years whether, whether this was explicitly said or it was implicit, the idea was the highest form of faith is that I can pick an outcome and if I exert my faith towards that outcome and I don't doubt at all, I can be sure that outcome will happen. And that was the highest form of faith that I would never waver in trusting that God would do the thing I thought should happen. And what I learned in the way these boys talked about it, was when they told the king, no, we won't be bowing, and our God does have the power to deliver us, there's this little addendum on the end of the statement. That was, it's the most formative statement for me when it comes to understanding how faith really works, maybe in all the scriptures. Our God has the power to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you. And what does that acknowledge? To me, that is far greater faith than them being able to just, I know what should happen here. 
God should deliver us from the fire. God should send angels right now and, and make sure we don't ever even get thrown in the furnace. That's how God would get the most glory. That's what God should do for me. Somehow, these boys understood that even if what happened is they got thrown in that furnace and poof, incinerated, God is to be trusted. Joseph must have had a hold of some of that in the pit and in the prison. Do do you think when Joseph was praying his prayers with, with the slave caravan going to Egypt, the part of his prayer was, God, I'd really like to work hard to raise up in in, in my position in Egypt and then be lied about and end up in Egyptian jail. Would you do that for me, Lord? You think he thought that was probably the best plan and how God would get the most glory and what would be best for him long term? No. Do Do you think the apostles, what do you think they were praying as they were scattering because Jesus was arrested and was being beaten and tortured? What do you think they thought best case scenario was? Do you think maybe they were just waiting? Like, why is God waiting to send the angels to lay these Romans to waste? What is he waiting on? And yet, what they couldn't see was God wasn't going to send a legion of angels because he was working in the thing exactly for his purposes to be fulfilled. If you can take that principle... Now, now, what am I saying? Does that, am, I don't take this too far. I'm not saying we don't ask God for deliverance. I'm not saying we don't ask God for healing. I'm not saying we don't ask God for anything we want to ask God for. We can. He said, come, bring your prayers to me. Come, pray in faith. But what does it mean to pray in faith? It means a confident trust in him, not a confident trust in your idea of what should happen. Real faith requires humility. Real faith requires an understanding of who's God and who's not. Class, we're not. He is. What time is it? Ooh, Lord. Okay. Okay. They escaped the edge of the sword. David escaped escaped Saul's sword, uh, Goliath's sword. Um, Moses escaped the sword of Pharaoh. Elijah escaped the sword of Jezebel. Out of weakness were made strong. That could be talking about Sarah, Gideon, Abraham, Esther, King Hezekiah. I mean, so many, right? They became valiant in battle. Um, That that could be David, King Asa, Jehoshaphat. could be Gideon. It could be so many that he's talking about. Women who received their dead raised to life again. This is very likely a reference to when both Elijah and Elisha Raise up for uh, destitute women, sons that had died, okay? Um, it's talking about uh, <clears throat> the, the widow of Zarephath, the Shunammite woman. Uh, trial of mockings. Isaac endured the mocking of Ishmael. Samson was mocked at the feast of the Philistines. Chains and imprisonment. We've talked about Joseph extensively. He was falsely accused and cast into prison. They were stoned. Zechariah was stoned to death between the altar and the temple. Uh, and Naboth was stoned to death by Jezebel's henchmen. It talks about uh, being sawn in two. The scriptures don't tell us this. This isn't recorded in the scriptures, but there is, there is reliable tradition that says Isaiah, the prophet, was sawn in two. So again, he, and he, he does a better job than I've just done of saying, I can't get into all this or this is going to take forever. So I'm sorry. Okay, but that's, that's what he's doing. It's, he's still calling to their remembrance the stories they know. 
The stories all that come from this grand arc of redemption, the true history of God making us, us failing, and then him initiating a plan to save us. And sometimes it's all the way down in the details that we see the intricacy and the beauty of what God is doing. Verses 39 through 40. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. It says, these gained approval. They were made righteous by faith. Big point of what's being said here. Looking forward to the promise of the Savior King's first arrival. That's, they gained approval. Really what they were looking forward to in faith, even if they didn't know the details, was the promise of the Savior King's first arrival. That promise was first given in Genesis 3. Yes, this enemy is going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush his head. And then, and then we, we, see, we see the promise foretold in so many ways. When Isaac's walking up the hill with wood on his back, it's, it's reinforcing the promise. When Joseph comes up out of the pit and rises to a place of prominence to be able to save many lives, the, 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 it's being said again. When, when there's blood over the doorposts in Egypt, the promise is being told again. When water comes out of the rock, the promise is being reinforced again. When there's manna in the wilderness, the, the, the promise is being enforced again. When, when, when the serpent's raised up and, and is saving people as a result of that, the promise is being reinforced again over and over and over again. When Esther steps in, willing to die for her people, the promise is being reinforced again. You understand what I'm saying? Just, you can keep going, right? Amen. They were looking forward to Christ, whether they knew his name or not. And we, so they were looking forward. We have the great privilege of looking back to the Savior King's first arrival. So here's part of the deal. They, they were able to walk by faith looking forward to Jesus. Friends, there is a greater weight of responsibility for, on us because of where we stand. Because we're looking back. We have all of the detail of the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus being born of a virgin, living a perfect life, dying in our place for our sins, and rising from the grave. If they could walk by faith, this is, this is the point. Surely we can. It's all going to be by God's grace. But there is... There's, there is more responsibility. It, is more, it would be more ridiculous for us to not walk by faith than it ever would have been for those in Hebrews 11. All those through all time who have trusted in the grace and goodness and power of God by faith. So they were looking forward. We are looking back. But all who have trusted in the grace and goodness and power of God by faith, all of us together, old covenant, new covenant, we are all looking forward to the second coming of Jesus and the final fulfillment of the promise. And that promise is us and him forever. And that's part of that. Why did I say all that? And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Perfect here is talking about completion, the end of the plan, the fulfillment of all the promises. They, they can't get there without us. Because the story's still happening. And until Jesus comes back and for the final time vanquishes death and sin and evil in all its forms, and the fullness of the kingdom is established, we all wait. And so maybe we can relate to these Old Testament saints more than we sometimes think we can. They were waiting and we are waiting. We're all waiting together. The other thing we pull out of these last couple of verses is this idea. If we walk by faith, as we're being encouraged to here, 
we will yearn for the final promise. We will never be satisfied with the trappings of this world. Because the misery that sin and all its effects have wrought will be a constant reminder that this is not what we were ultimately made for. Friends, if you can get settled in, if you can get satisfied with this world, shake yourself. You were made for something far greater than this. And the misery that sin brings should be a constant reminder. And friends, it won't just be the sin and brokenness out there. Don't get it twisted. It won't just be the sin and brokenness out there that reminds us that we're not home yet, but the sin and brokenness in here. Not leading us to condemnation and despair, but awe and gratitude for the grace and love of God. And in that, we are not different from this hall of faith. We said this a little bit last week. I'm almost done, but just think about it with me. Think about who got included in this, man. This list of of heroes of the faith. Noah got off the boat, got drunk and naked, man. Abraham was a liar. Sarah laughed at God. Isaac tried to disobey God and bless the, the favorite son. Jacob was a deceiver. Joseph was a bragger. Moses a murderer. Rahab a harlot. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and David, every single one of them unworthy to be called righteous on their own merit and yet gained approval by faith. And so part of what it means to live by faith is to live in this tension of being seen as righteous before God and yet knowing I am not perfect yet in all my thoughts, words, and deeds. I am fully and completely dependent on the grace of God every single day and the way that I will receive the grace of God is by faith in God. By faith, friends. It always has been and always will be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you so much for Hebrews 11. Thank you for the rich history that it invites us to encounter. Lord, there is uh, far more that could be said about just almost everything we touched today, but I thank you uh, that we had the opportunity to value our history. Help us to see this as our history. Help us not to see this as some disconnected set of historical facts about some other people. Help us remember the promise. Help us remember the truth that it is now those who by faith have trusted in Christ that are the children of Abraham. Thank you that we are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. And so this is our story. This is our history. These are our people, the people of faith. Lord, help it, help it to touch our hearts the way it should, as if this is the, the story of our family, because it is, because we've been grafted in as wild olive branches into this tree, this family of Abraham, who, ever since he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, walked by faith. I thank you that the covenant blessing you promised him is true, that there are now descendants as many as sand on the seashore, who by faith have trusted you. God, help us. Help us to live in the beauty of this. Help us to live by faith. Help us to think generationally when it's hard to live by faith. Help us to remember the ones coming after us and realize that the decisions we make today, they will ring down, that they have an effect beyond just what we see and and hear and, and, and can understand right now in this moment. Thank you, Lord for your faithfulness. Thank you that we will never be disappointed when we, 
walk in this great invitation to live by faith in you alone. We love you and we worship you. You're the only one worthy. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.